Elena tells me my sermons have been lasting longer of late. And they have been. So I'm keeping this to 35 minutes after I give a long introduction to it. <laughs> so you're welcome to time it. Um, I, I want to update you on a few things. Um, first of all, I love having my family. These, these two rows up here are our family, Teresa and I's family. So th love to have you guys here. And um, I, I would introduce them and embarrass them, but that's, I won't. Also, I want to give you an update on um, my cancer treatment because we haven't talked about it in a while since this is my last Sunday. So I, I, finished, I finished radiation March 10th. The last eight, eight weeks of radiation, five days a week, finished that. And then this past Monday, a week ago, I had my last hormone therapy shot. So that, that hormone therapy kills the, uh, reduces the testosterone, which is what prostate cancer feeds on. Cancer goes into remission. The radiation is supposed to kill it. You get it? So as of now, my last blood test, there is no evidence of cancer whatsoever in my body. Now, um, I appreciate your prayers in the future because as the testosterone comes back, the, if there's cancer left, it wakes up. And then my doctor said sometimes prostate cancer is like whack-a-mole. You know, you kill it here, then it comes up over here. And so whatever, I, I trust the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm moving ahead assuming it's gone. And um, um, so I just want you to know that. But, but also... I tell you that a couple of reasons. One, hormone therapy really stinks. It, <laughs> it functionally, they, t they told me, my, my personal doctor, my surgeon, my oncologist, all of them said, oh, it puts you into menopause. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, it's funny, Brandon, when I tell ladies that I'm in menopause, they laugh. Now you know what it feels like. And I want to say, I have cancer and you're laughing at me? <laughs> but I get it. It's, um, but part of it is the, 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 I'm an emotional person, always have been. And this makes me worse or more emotional. So if you came here today to see a grown man cry, you probably will have your dream fulfilled there. <laughs> if it makes you uncomfortable that grown men cry, get ready to be uncomfortable. Father, guide us today in this sermon about you, about what you've done for us, and what you call us to do and be. And then we love you, so thank you. In Christ's name, amen. The, I have a friend here, Marcy. Where are you at, Marcy? I worked with Marcy for 20 years. Marcy and Mike are here from Reno. And she says something to me over the years, and she says this all the time, that every person wants to be known, seen, heard, and loved. Think about that. Every human being wants to be known, seen, heard, and loved. And you guys have done that for me and Teresa to an nth degree. Here's the tears. Actually, I walked in. I walked in and Mira handed me these. So, um... um Matthew, I could use a bottle of water, Matthew. I, I, I truly thank you for the way you have loved our family and seen us and known us and heard us. And I hope we've reciprocated to a half what you've given us. So thank you. As my last sermon, I thought a lot, what do I want to say? And I've been working through the book of Hebrews for the last several months, just slowly going through it. And, um, and I, I've never... In 
29 years of ministry, and primarily a teaching ministry, I've never taught through the whole book of Hebrews. In part, it's a difficult book, and there's other things I want to teach, but this last few months, I've just been walking slowly through it, and there's some amazing things in this book that I want to share with you today that actually, actually shore up some of the things I've been teaching for the last several years. Thank you. But to remind you first, I want to remind you of our purpose statement. Over here, if you're visiting, these four banners represent our purpose statement. Our first purpose is discover. Discover who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. That's why this church exists, to help people who walk through these doors to discover who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. Then as we move through this purpose statement, the second one is grow. Discover, then grow. Grow in Christ-likeness. And that, that for me describes our salvation. That the word Christ-likeness is the reason God saved us. That he, he, he became, we could not come to him, so he became human. He became like us. Took on our sin so that he can then make us like him in his holiness, in his beauty, in his righteousness, in his heart, and our heart's desire, our character, our thoughts, our plans will reflect him and we grow in this. And so salvation is this idea I've taught here that salvation is a past event. I got saved. It's a present event. I'm growing in this salvation. That's sometimes called sanctification. And it's a future event when Christ returns and makes me holy and blameless and I stand before Jesus. That is my future glorification. But all of that really is our salvation. I got saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. If you've been here a while, you've heard me say that. So that second step in growing in our Christ-likeness is the idea of that sanctification as we become more and more like Jesus Christ. God works in us every day. Then third, as we grow, we need to engage a broken world with the hope of the gospel. God has given the gospel to his church, to us, to share with the broken world out there. Not to condemn the world, but to share the hope we have. To, to share the hope we have with the broken world. And last, it's not so much a purpose, it is the overarching purpose. And the end result of discovering, growing, and engaging is that our God would be glorified. This is where you say amen. amen. So with that, I've been talking a lot about becoming like Christ in my years here. It drives me. It drives me for me personally. When Paul says in Galatians 4.19, he tells the Galatians that, that, that he's in labor again, imagery of childbirth. I'm in labor again until Christ is formed in you. Until the heart, the, the, the soul... The motives, the thoughts, the actions of Jesus are in the people he made his own. Does that make sense? Tell me if you come to here regularly, you've heard that before. Good, because, <laughs> never mind. So, Eric's snarking at me there. He's waiting for me to be a smart aleck. I want to approach this idea of becoming like Christ from the book of Hebrews, from a different angle. And, and I've titled this message, if you want to get your bulletin, pull out the insert... Oh, by the way, now we're starting the 35 minutes, okay? Um, pull out the bulletin or pull out the insert inside as my outline. And you see, I've got a long title. It's kind of cumbersome title. Essential practices needed to be that sharp instrument in God's hands. Essential practices needed to be that sharp instrument in God's hands. So it's a very cumbersome title. But I've been talking about this, that, that God has 
saved you. He's made you new. He's given you a new heart, put the Holy Spirit within you, put you in a community of believers that he now has equipped us to do good works. In fact, it says in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And each one of us are an instrument in God's hands to be used by him to reach people, to serve one another, to love our families, to love a broken world, to reach them. We are instruments in his hands. Do you want to be a sharp instrument in his hands or a dull one? We shouldn't even have to answer it, Matthew, but you're right. Um, And so much of the world is here to dull it down. I said this before, but I have an obsession with sharp knives. Not not, not a a serial killer thing, but a... But a, when I get a tomato and I want to cut it, I don't want to squish the tomato. It must be sharp. So I'm constantly sharpening my knives at home, constantly. And because a dull knife is useless, it's not what its purpose is. So as a Christian, we want to be honed by God so that we are the instrument he's created us to be for his purposes so we can know more about him, discover what he's done for us. As we do that the rest of our life, we grow, grow, grow in discovering him. Become more like Christ and engage a broken world. If we're not like Christ, it's difficult to engage a broken world. So with that, here's the essential practices needed. Number one, make true fellowship a high priority. Make true fellowship a high priority. Go to the book of Hebrews, if you would. And um, we're going to go to verse 19, chapter 10, verse 19. Hebrews 10. The book of Hebrews is written to a group of Christians who come from Jewish background. They've converted to believe in their Jewish Messiah. And they're getting a lot of flack from their fellow Jews. And not just flack, but persecution. So it's hard on them. Because, because in that tight community of that Jewish community, all of a sudden now they're worshiping a Messiah that the rest of their countrymen are thinking is idolatry. And they're being persecuted for it. And they're considering leaving the faith and going back to Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews is telling them, don't do that. Jesus is the fulfillment of Judaism. He came to fulfill the law. And so that's what the whole book is about. When he gets to chapter 10, this passage here, he now goes into his application. Chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, that's his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, so we have two cents here. Since this is true, since this is true, the new covenant has been inaugurated and we have a high priest. Since these are true, now he's going to explain three things we should do. Verse 22, the first one, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That is Direct new covenant terminology from Ezekiel 36. Let us draw near. We don't need to hide from God anymore. Let us pull near to Christ. The second one, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. When the world comes against us and it has come in against them, it's easy to pull back. Okay, I, I will minimize my confession of Jesus. I won't talk about him. Or maybe I'll abandon it. Don't. In light of what's happened, since Christ has done this for you, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Then, 
This is where I want to get to you guys. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's an urgency in the writer. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's an urgency in the writer. The day is drawing near. What is the day? Most likely the second coming. Now, less than 10 years after this was written, the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, and it's never been rebuilt since. Titus took all the temple um, furniture, all the gold, and took off to Rome. If you've ever been to the Colosseum, go to the Colosseum. As you walk into the Colosseum, look to the right, you'll see the Arch of Titus. And the Arch of Titus is, is, a, is a, the carvings on it is the Roman army and Titus leading them, bringing all the temple, the Jewish temple's um, furniture into the Roman coffers. Could that be it? Possibly. But ultimately, it's the second coming of Christ and all of the turmoil in the world that will be happening, but the hope that is. So in light of that, by the way, are we still waiting for Jesus? Is that our hope? Okay, so this applies to us. In light of that, it says, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, I've always focused on the next section, not neglecting to meet together. Pastors love to use this. Oh, you weren't in church last week. You know, so, so the idea of meeting together. But the reason you meet together is to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And I haven't given a lot of thought to the intensity of this. That word stir up has a positive connotation and a negative connotation. The negative connotation is to irritate somebody. Okay, so that, that's to irritate you to, to, to a, a break a relationship with you. I'm so irritating to you that, that that's, that's the intensity of the word on the negative side. So the positive side, I was trying to think of a good, in fact, we were talking to a bunch of people at dinner the other night about this at our, at our rooted dinner. And what were some synonyms for stir up? Well, the NIV says, says spur one another on. The imagery there of a, a spur on the boot. As you, as you spur a horse, what does it do? It moves. Um, I think it was Michelle that said in that dinner that, you know, um, be on fire for. Be on fire. Encourage each other to love and good deeds. So, so what does that look like? What does it mean for me to, to help you and you to help me be on fire for love and good deeds? Because Christ is coming. The days are short is his point. Christ has done all of this. He has made us new. The new covenant is in effect. I am now a child of God. I have a purpose. And that purpose is expressed in the community of Christians who spur one another on to love and good deeds. So I'm encouraging you to think through what that looks like in your life and the people around you. Often we come to church and it's more about what am I going to get out of church today? And frankly, the way we do Sunday morning doesn't really make it easy to do this. It's more of, of, and I don't want to call our worship team performers. These guys are amazing. But, but we are kind of, you're, you're observing what we do up here. And there's not a lot of interaction among you. So, so as long as this is the format of Sunday morning, we need other opportunities when we gather together to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And frankly, that is our small group system. When to get together with 10, 12 other people regularly to go through the scriptures, learn to love each other, 
and learn how in a way that is not guilt-producing to spur each other on, to help light the fire among each other, to love in good deeds so that we love one another as Christ loved us. Brandon preached on that at Easter time, how much God loves us. He loves us just like he loves his own son, Brandon taught us. Then we now take that love and love one another. And our whole purpose of why, when you got saved, when you came to Christ, faith in Christ, whether he was a child, I, I was 20 years old, why didn't God at that moment just zap you out of this world, take you to his presence? That would have been easier, wouldn't it have been? Isn't sometimes life hard? Life's hard when it comes to illnesses and sickness. Joe's sitting here. It's good to see you, Joe. He's just got out of the hospital for months. Um, it's hard. It's hard. Emotional pain in life, struggling with sin, failing, getting back up and saying, God, I blew it again. Wouldn't it be easier if he just took you home immediately? Almost every day, hey, where'd Joe go? He got saved. He's with Jesus. Why did he leave us here? For good works. Good works that I bless you, you bless me, and God is glorified. So this isn't a sidebar to the Christian faith. It's our purpose. It's our purpose. And so you need to think hard, since I only have 35 minutes, about what a good work is. And bottom line, the epitome of a good work, there's two of them. I think, Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. A Samaritan who's half Jewish, half Gentile, that is detested by the Jews. But when someone is hurt and been beaten up, who takes care of him? The Samaritan does. So this is the imagery here of taking care of my enemy, even paying out of my own money to take care of someone who doesn't even like me. That's one example of uh, the epitome of a good work. Another one is James chapter 1 that he says, this is true and undefiled religion. That you keep yourself unstained from the world, holiness, and you take care of widows and orphans in their distress. Why widows and orphans? Helpless. There was no social security. There's no welfare. This is, I don't think this is referring to widows and orphans. It's referring to a family that lost the husband, lost the dad, and now has no means to live. The church should take care of them. That's the epitome of a good work. And they can give you nothing in return. I think much of what I do, maybe all of what I do, and you too, is mixed motives. I have a motive to help somebody. That's good. But I have a motive that maybe you'll see me doing something good and think I'm nice. That's selfish. We all have mixed motives. Part of Christ-likeness is growing more in the motive that's altruistic, taking care of somebody without the recognition. Widows and orphans cannot help you. Does that make sense? Give a lot of thought to what it means when you get together. Not just what am I getting out of this service, out of this Bible study, but what am I going to do when I come to this service or this Bible study to help you, my friends, to spur you on to your purpose in life, love and good deeds. That's my first admonition to you. Oh, by the way, this is going to cost you. When you give your life to serve others, it costs you. It costs you time. It costs you money. It costs you emotional energy. 
And for me, sometimes that's the, the hardest one. But Hebrews tells us it's worth it. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 to 16. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. The imagery here is Jesus was the scapegoat. He was sent outside the community, outside the city, and sin was put upon him. Okay? So that's the imagery. Jesus was excluded from the community and died outside. Therefore, let us go out. Let's go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We just did that. That's, that's the first thing we do when we say, I'm going outside the city. I'm going to make Jesus my highest priority, not success in this world. Because this, this city doesn't last. There's a, a city that does last that's coming. The second thing, after the, praise of the, the, the lips that praise him, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So, yes, it costs you. Teresa and I recently tried to help somebody, and we got burned by it. And that's the cost. That's the cost. And it, and it hurts. It's frustrating. It even makes me mad. But that's what we're called to do. There's way more success than there are failures in this. You with me? If you're visiting today, I say that a lot, just to see if you're listening. The second practice, if we want to be a sharp instrument in God's hands, is to relentlessly pursue Christ-likeness. Now, I, I mentioned first about our second purpose there, growing Christ-likeness. I firmly believe this time we are on this earth is part of our salvation. We are growing in our salvation. God is making us more like his son every day. And this isn't a, a sidebar of salvation. This isn't an add-on. This is my salvation. Becoming like Jesus is why he saved me. And it's a process that starts the moment I open, that my eyes are open to Jesus and goes to the day I die. It's his work. He is the one who gets the glory and credit. It's only because of him and the power he gives us through his spirit that I can do this. But I'm very active in it. I'm not passive. Let me, let me show that to you. Let me read you 1 Thessalonians 3 before we go to Hebrews 12. 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 to 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Now look, look at verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So, so stop there. No slide? Okay, I didn't give you that one, sorry. It says there in verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. So who's the, who's the source of my love and care for you? He's the one who gives it to me. He makes me do this. He's working through me. It's him who gives it to me. I don't get to have some credit. Oh, I, I did that. You should do it more. But are we not commanded all through scripture to love one another? So there's a command put upon his people, his born again, his regenerated people, his spirit-filled people to love one another. But it's not something we take credit for that we did it because he's the one doing it. I'm not passive in it. That's what I want you to see. I'm not passive in my growth to Christ-likeness, but it is God's work. Sounds like a, a, a contradiction, but do you understand it? A little more. Do you understand it? Okay. So, and don't just say yes. If you don't, I'll start over. 
So, so, that he'll make you increase and abound in love for one another so that, here's the end, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Holiness, to stand before God holy and blameless, it would be the, the crescendo of our salvation. That is the last thing. When Christ returns, he raises us from the dead. Or if we're still alive, we are, we are changed in the twinkling of an eye, Scripture tells us. And we will be like Jesus. But the process is taking place right now. That God is causing us to increase and abound in love for one another. So that on that day we can stand there blameless. It's a process that is going on right now. And we need to engage it. We need to grab it and say, nothing's more important to me than becoming like Jesus. God, I don't like everything that comes into my life. Maybe we've talked about I'm in God's hand. Everything that happens to you and me goes through his fingers first in order to conform me into Christ. Likeness. Some things I don't like. Joe, did you like breaking your leg? No, Joe said it's some of the worst pain of his life. But I tell you what, when it's all done, if he'll receive it, I'm picking on you, Joe, Joe will look more like Jesus without a beard and long hair. That's funny. Come on. <laughs> you got to know Joe. Back to Hebrews now. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12 where he talks about discipline. So I'm going to read you the first parts to get the context, but I'm going to focus in on the last few verses. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? Now, now, ladies, he's not excluding you. The writer of Hebrews is writing to a culture where a father trains a son to be his heir. So the word discipline is the Greek word paideia or paideo, it was verb or noun. And it's more than simply the woodshed discipline that we knew as kids, if you're my generation. Um, it's more than simply getting a spank in. This is the idea of a whole concept of, of raising my children up to maturity, to be a good citizen in the Greek culture. Well, God does that to us. And sometimes it might involve the woodshed. But it's greater than that in here. It's just not about taking the belt to you. So I want you to understand that. Um, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated and you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have an earthly father's who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. Why? Read it with me. That we may share in his holiness. That's the purpose of God's discipline in our life. That's the purpose of he's raising us up as his children to be mature followers of Jesus who share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, here it is, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Scripture is clear that I have the righteousness of Christ right now in fullness. He took my sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin, that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's called justification by faith, imputed righteousness, however you want to talk about it. When God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of his son. But he's working that righteousness into my daily life also and how I live and how I act and react and think. That is what we call sanctification. That righteousness 
the peaceful fruit of righteousness or share his holiness, same thing. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees. Remember, these people are, these people are defeated with their persecution. Get up, droop, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So this is the idea I've mentioned before. This is us, okay, okay, wait a minute, let's quit goofing off, let's quit wasting time, let's quit feeling sorry for ourselves, but let's get up and put our hands to the plow and move forward to engage a broken world. Move forward to become more like Jesus Christ. And it's an act of the will that each one of us must commit to. But in the end, when we do that, it is entirely God's work in you. You and I get no credit. It all goes to Jesus. And we'll see that as the last verse we're going to read today. Does that make sense? Because this is, now, now we're going to go on. Because now, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone. Stop there. At the heart of the gospel is peace. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this, that, that Christ came to bring peace. He came, saved us, and made us at peace. Jew and Gentile, all sorts of different religions and ethnic groups, languages come together because of Jesus. And he brought peace to us. Then Ephesians chapter 2 says, then he took us to the Father and reconciled us to the Father and thus made peace. So this isn't talking about an emotional, oh, I feel at peace today. It's talking about no animosity, none, between us and God. Between us and God. Now what he's saying to us is pursue it relentlessly among yourselves. There should be no division in the body of Christ. There should be no animosity. There, if, if there's something that you have against somebody or something, somebody has something against you and you're okay with it, that's sin. We have been saved to be at peace with one another and peace with our Father. And to refuse to reconcile is to deny the gospel. So pursue peace relentlessly with one another. Because if we're going to go to a broken world and they look at us and say, why would we want to be like you? You're a bunch of divisive, mean-spirited people. I, re I recently read a, a Barna survey that said 86% of people between 18 and 33, I don't know why they picked those ages, between 18 and 33, 86% of those people think Christians are self-righteous and mean-spirited. Those are called the nuns, not Catholic nun. Nuns, meaning when they see a survey, what their religion is, they choose none. And they're not influenced by us because they look at us and say, you guys are filled with bitterness and hatred for each other. Why would we want to be with you? What should flow from us is a passion to be at peace with one another. Forgiveness comes with that. Kindness comes with that. Patience comes with that. We must be that kind of people. That's the first thing he tells us to pursue in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone. And this is what's called the double direct object. The second, don't you love it when I do grammar? Strive for peace with everyone and strive for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Every time I read that, I go, oh gosh, that scares me. Because that makes it look like it's on me. 
if I don't have that holiness, I'm not going to see Jesus. And it's not talking about you're going to be so far at the other outreaches of heaven out in the back 40, you don't get to see him. It means you don't belong to him. Strive for holiness without which you won't see the Lord. Holiness is not an option to us. Holiness is why God saved us. It is our salvation. That someday, according to Ephesians chapter 1, I stand before him holy and blameless. That is the ultimate goal of my salvation. It's God's work in me, I showed you from 1 Thessalonians. But I have to put my hand to the plow and use the means he has given me to pursue that holiness. And those means are regular time in the word of God. Those means are the community of faith. Those means are confession of sin to one another. That in our rooted program we just finished in week five, we have what's called strongholds and we break men and women up. And the women talk and the men talk about the struggles in life we have, things that we can't seem to stop doing that aren't honoring to God and hurt us. And it's amazing to see some of the walls drop when we confess our sins to one another of the power that comes from that. Joe's in my group. I know Joe's, some of Joe's hardships in life and he knows mine, things we've failed at. He loves me and I love him because our confession brought some humility to each other. That's the power that comes from confessing our sins to one another. These are all the means of holiness. We could go on and on. That's why it's so important, everybody, to be in a small group. Not just Sunday morning. I don't think you can accomplish this with occasional attendance Sunday morning. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. If we're not pursuing that peace and holiness, then bitterness enters into our individual lives, which then spreads to other people. Not good. I could go on and on about that. So, so what is holiness? Holiness is, is simply put Christ-likeness. It is referred to in certain contexts as, 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 um, as not committing sexual um, adultery or, or fornication. So it is used to refer to sex, but it's so much broader. In the end, holiness is the idea that God has taken you and me and set us apart to be used by him. And our life reflects his character, not the character of our past life or the world. Does that make sense? So it is a broad term that you need to study out. In your bulletins, in your, in your worksheet, you'll see I've listed a whole bunch of passages in parentheses. Matthew 5, the, which is the, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, Philippians 4, 8. Whatever is lovely, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is of good reputation, put your mind on those things. If we just did that, it's amazing the strength we would have against the world. Philippians 2, 1 through 16, Christ humbled himself, and we do likewise. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 is the idea that Scripture brings in us a righteousness that makes us equipped to do good works. Read those on your own, what I think are descriptions of holiness and righteousness. So, so being an instrument in God's hand, a sharp instrument to serve his purposes, that's what I want to say in my last thing. This is what I want for myself, I want for Teresa, and I desperately want for you. And... Because I believe this church is really good at knowing each other, hearing each other, seeing each other, and loving each other. 
this is incredibly doable for this church to step into the next phase. And I kind of feel like I'm just abandoning you. And Brandon, it's your problem. Um, I, I sensed that it was time for me to move on about two years ago. But this is still my passion for this church. And I told the elders about two years ago, we need to think about a right process, a good process. This church doesn't have a good history of pastoral shifts. If you've been here a long time, you know what I'm talking about. And to, to find that person that we can work together then and pass on the baton. Um, and I think we've done that. And so this church is poised in place. We have a great leadership team. And Brandon has some leadership skills that I, I think that I don't have to take us to the next level. So what I want to do is talk to the elders for a moment. I know some of the elders are gone today, but if I could ask the elders to stand up. Okay. A lot of them are gone. Neil's there, Jason. A Anthony is not here today. I know Michael's not here today. Nolan's probably downstairs helping with kids. There's Nolan. Thanks, Nolan. So, so what I want to do, see your elders. And, and when I came here, Ron, was, Ron and Neil were the elders along with Jane Murphy, um, Dennis Petty, and um, Matthew. Where's Matthew? He leaves when I'm talking to him. Okay, so he's fixing my lunch. Thank you. I want to read to you a passage, gentlemen. It's really written to the congregation how they view their own. No, stand up, Ron. Stand up, Ron. Stand up. You, you look good, dude. Just stay there. Remember your leaders. This is the rest of you. Remember your leaders, those who spoke you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then, 1317, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give him an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for, that, groaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. So elders, while this is a, a charge to the congregation, I want you to realize it says they're to follow you and imitate you. You have to be worthy of following because they're not going to follow if you're not. And first of all, I firmly believe in every one of you as partners that we've been leading this church for a while. Some newer than others, but I believe the spotlight is on the leadership of the church in a greater detail than the average person sitting in the pews. And gentlemen, you must live the faith if you expect people to follow you in the faith. In leadership, there's two models. There's the commander model, this is very simplistic, and the shepherd model. You obey a commander. You follow a shepherd. You must be the shepherds of this church. So thank you. Go ahead and sit down. But Brandon, you stay standing. I'm picking on you. In January of 2017, I told you this. I called Ron. I heard he was the interim pastor. He's been here about a week as the interim pastor. And I'd heard that there was a job opening. I had already made a decision and had talked to to my pastor, Dan Frank, who's sitting right over here, and said, Dan, I think God's calling me to move on. And we said that in the fall of, in the fall of 16. And Dan said, if, we, if you still feel this way at Christmas time, let's make a plan. I still felt that way. And after that, and we told the elders, after that, 
We get a phone call. There's a, a physician open in Cornerstone in Tahoe. So I called Ron. I actually called Mike Coudre, who I've known since he was a child. He, he gave me Ron's number. And I came up and met with Ron. And what he said to me was, Tony, what this church needs is someone to love them and teach them the Bible. And he said, I can do that. Remember this. If you need an administrator, don't hire me. But Brandon, I know you will love this congregation. I'm asking you to do that, and I know you'll teach them. But God has also gifted you with some leadership skills that I don't have. So lead them forward in this purpose statement to that next one, especially engaging a broken world. So thank you. Now we're going to do final words of the book of Hebrews. This is a, what's called the doxology. And it's something you say at the end of a service or a writing, and it's beautiful. Do me a favor, stand up. Let's read it together. Do we have a, sli- a slide for this? Good, there it is. Together. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. That's loaded there. Equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. So who's the one who does the work in you? But you are not passive. You receive what he does and become his instrument to encourage one another on to love and good deeds and to reach a broken world that... In part, our fault, they see us as not good for the world. But we have the message of hope. So learn to be together, to become the kind of people who are thrilled to grow in love and good deeds, to show a world the beauty of our Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. I thank you for your word. So much in here, Lord, that we'll never exhaust. Give us a passion to devour it, to become like your son. Thank you for your spirit who leads us into all truth and teaches us, empowers us. And I thank you for this community of people who love you. Now, increase that love. This community of people that believe in you, but help our unbelief, Father so that we can be that true instrument that the first one you grab to do your will so that we can live lives that are pleasing to you. All for the glory of your son. In his name, everybody said, amen. Thank you. Amen.